Father, we thank you this morning, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your great love, for the grace that you poured out for us on the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We love you, Father. It's in your name, amen. seated and we'll dismiss the kids. Now school age kids can head to the back and they will uh, join in uh, learning their catechism of today. Bring attention just real quick to uh, you got a guide for uh, our Lent schedule in um, in your little handouts. So um, this starts next Monday. Now the Christian church worldwide will start celebrating this next Wednesday. Um, we're not just trying to be different. Uh, last time we did this and we had Wednesday to Wednesday schedules, it kind of, kind of threw everybody off. So we're going to keep it Monday to Mondays, um, basically following um, a liturgical church calendar because I think it's very helpful. And I explain why we do this. Um, I've never even really heard of Lent growing up um, and mostly a Southern Baptist church. But I think some things very helpful. We wrote some devotions, some family devotions. Um, and uh, every week we will fast from something. I encourage you to fast from something. Um, anyway, you can find more information about this. We'll talk about this next week, and then the following Monday is when we'll actually start. And then a lot of you uh, also got your marriage retreat cards. This is next weekend. If you have not signed up, there's still time. Um, basically, it's a free event um, as long as uh, you get a hotel in Ruston or you can drive over um, for the sessions on Friday night. Um, and uh, Saturday, I think we end just shortly after lunch on Saturday. Um, I encourage you. I talked to Marty um, even this week and uh, excited about what they're going to be teaching. And uh, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians 6, uh, where the scripture reading was today, and we will really just uh, jump in. Let me pray for us quickly. Father, thank you for um, your word to us and how, Lord, it's authoritative Um, in our lives, and that we submit to it willingly and with joy, because this is the good life of following you, loved so well by you, led by you. These words to us, I pray, would provide what's needed in our hearts, whether it be convicting of sin, encouraging the weary heart, or that we would be encouraged just to continue um, in what you've called us to. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Galatians uh, chapter 6. Let me read the whole uh, passage, and I'm going to overview a little bit of what Jason talked about last week, um, and then get into our focus, and then we'll finish the book next week, and also it'll be our springboard um, explaining uh, Lent and kind of what our goals are there, and then the following week we start the book of Jonah, so I'm excited about all of those things. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you should... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, what, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. If you remember up to this point in Galatians, Paul's been defining and redefining what the gospel actually is for these churches. In essence, he says, you are not made right with God by changing your life or implementing all these rules in your life in order to appease God, but you, you are made right with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross for you, and that results in a changed life. It's not outward in, it's inside out. And this is the thing that he is hitting again and again in this church These churches in Galatia, this region of Galatia, many false teachers had entered claiming some kind of divine right because they came from Jerusalem where the original apostles were and they were preaching a different gospel. And Paul does not put up with that at all. He comes using very strong words. He said, these people are false teachers. I know they appeal and they've got some kind of connection with maybe the city of Jerusalem where the birth of the church actually happened, but I want you to know they are preaching a false gospel. Do not listen to them. And then for six chapters up to this point, he's just been defining and punching holes in their argument about being justified by the flesh, saying that is not the gospel at all. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, he explains the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of Jesus comes in to live inside the Christian and begins to change your actual desire so that you no longer submit to the controlling nature of sin, of your flesh, living for yourself and living for your own glory, but no, you are transformed. You are made to live and display and declare God's glory. Sin marred that image of God in you, and the Spirit of God, even now, is remaking you. Even the song we just sang, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. I love that phrase, because that should be the theme of our lives, that we are currently being transformed into the image of God, moment by glory, uh, moment by moment, or as Paul says in Corinthians, glory unto glory, one degree to the next degree, so that you should look more like Christ today than you did a decade ago if you've been walking with him. And you should look more like Christ tomorrow and the next day. This transformation process is happening, happening in the life of every believer in such a degree as your life will display spiritual fruit. We talked about that two weeks ago. The Holy Spirit working in us. Love and joy and peace and, peace and patience and kindness are increasingly in, me- in measure in our life. Now, this process of transformation doesn't happen accidentally. It happens with intention, and it requires continual investment. And that's what Paul's getting to here in the first part of chapter 6. Part of this investment, we need to understand that this is a community project. It is not done alone. This is one of those passages that I like to refer to as together toward maturity passages. Like Paul says, hey, this is the standard, and this standard is ridiculously crazy, but the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to be working, and not just inside of you, but inside of other believers who are around you, so that we do this together. And that's the calling, even as we start in, in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 6. This 
passage carries with it this idea of spiritual formation, of this maturing process that should be happening in our lives, this spiritual formation that we seek after our own and others for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm excited about this passage and for this reason, because the health and the furtherance of Covenant Church will depend on us being committed to this very thing. And he mentioned several of them, and you've been in church long enough to know that this is not the norm, even within Christian communities around the world, certainly not in the West. He starts off in verse 1, brothers, if anyone's caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This idea of restoring each other. Now, a lot of the places that I've been and churches I've served at, when a brother or sister is caught in sin, the first thing that happens is not this desire to restore him. The first thing that typically happens is gossip and slander about that person. Hey, can you believe that this happened to so-and-so? Did you see this person's Facebook post last week? Can, can you believe that I heard that this person, that this person said this about this person? That's typically our knee-jerk and very fleshly reaction. But what Paul says here is, brothers, listen, this is a different kind of thing that we're talking about, this inverted kingdom, this kingdom of God. If one of your own is hurt or is caught up in the sin, you who are spiritual should go and restore them. Carries with it this idea of being restored for usefulness. That we've been injured, we've been caught in sin, we've, we've hit a pothole, we've tripped over a crack, we're, we're over there, we're not running the race, no, we're over there holding our ankle because we've been caught in sin and Paul puts out this declaration, if anyone is caught in sin, tripped up by sin, you who are spiritual should go and restore them, restored for usefulness, to realign themselves with their purpose, that's our call to To help them understand the very reason that they were made. That they're chasing after things that don't really matter. Now again, Jason talked about this last week at length. And I encourage you, if you missed that, to go check out that podcast. But I want to look at this kind of this whole section as a whole. He he just, two quick exhortations under this idea of restoring each other. We're to do it with gentleness. You don't hire a butcher to set a broken arm. And with caution... You don't operate in people's lives without being spiritually prepared to do so. Let every occasion of sin and others remind you of what you are capable of apart from the grace of God. That's why he says at the end of verse 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep up with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we're to restore one another. We're also to bear one another's burdens. That's what he says there in uh, in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, just needs to have kids. Right? This week, I took Ashley out for a Valentine's uh, date, the day after Valentine's, and uh, she gets all dressed up and, um, and puts on her peacoat outside, and it's uh, white and black, kind of checkered looking, very nice. She goes in and so shows uh, the kids, we're about to leave, hey, we're about to leave, we're going to date. Both girls say, Mom, you look beautiful. Hudson says, Mom, you look like a cow. 
was awesome, right? Like if, you, uh, if anyone thinks that he's more than, he's, than he really is, he should have kids. Um, they will speak honestly to you. Um, he, he meant the colors, but it just sounded hilarious. Bearing one another's burdens. I think our church does this well. But burden bearing is more than just meals. It really is. Now, we do take care of each other well. And, um, and I feel like we reach out and we genuinely care for one another. But burden bearing can be so much more than just meeting felt needs. I think one of the areas that God is growing me in when it comes to bearing one another's burdens is intercessory prayer. Not just flippantly saying, I'm going to pray for someone, but consistently and intentionally and with great faith praying for the person who's requested prayer. For some reason, God and his supernatural wisdom has limited some of his action in us and towards us based upon our response to him in prayer. Maybe you've been woken up in the middle of the night as you give yourself to this idea of intercessory prayer with God putting a great burden on your heart or on your mind. Sometimes that can be frustrating if I speak from my own experience, but this is what I've asked God to do. God, I want to be an intercessory prayer warrior. Reveal to my heart who and how I should pray for people. And he has done that again and again. I told you one time about I was on a a treadmill at the gym, and all of a sudden God just overwhelmed me with with this thought of this man that I've not seen for five or six years. And I began to pray for him and pray for him, not knowing why God would put such a burden Not knowing if I had just missed something, I go home and that evening a friend calls me and said that that burden that had been placed on my heart was this friend of mine had a stroke. He tells me the time, I look at my watch at the exact moment that God has placed this extraordinary burden on my heart. That God has intertwined, right, the release of his power sometimes with us responding to him in prayer. That's one of the ways we bear each other's burdens. He goes on to say, verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. As if you couldn't use this as a loophole saying, well, I'm the way I am because other people aren't bearing my burdens. He used a different word here, different Greek word to describe your own load. That you're going to have to answer for your own life. You're going to have to invest in your own spiritual formation. It says in verse 7, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. There's no loopholes here. And then he moves into kind of the second thrust of this this passage, this idea of sowing and reaping, or keeping in step with the Spirit, I think is the point I put. That you're able to sow into the field of the flesh or into the field of the Spirit. And that option is before all of us. Verse 19 of chapter 5 says, Now the works of the flesh, if we're confused, are evident... Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the things like these. And Paul says here, look at verse 8 with me. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Very sobering words for us that if you sow into the flesh, you eventually, what's at the end of that road is you're going to reap a harvest of corruption. You're going to reap more of the same thing that this defines this world. You're going to reap more brokenness. 
You're going to reap more sin. You're going to reap more selfishness. You're going to reap more breaking down of the things that weren't meant to be this way, of falling apart, ultimately eternal judgments. If we sow into the flesh, if we give into these desires for all these long litany of things that he mentioned that I just read, or the option before you is to sow into the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit, to invest your time and your life and your resources into godly things, eternal things. Sowing into the spirit means you're spending time in the word and prayer. You're focusing on Christ-exalting truth. You're surrounding yourselves with people who are going to encourage you in the gospel. You're practicing a life of purity and engaging in things that bring God glory. Things like the very cultures that we write on our little connection card in the middle. Cultures of joy and sacrifice and generosity. You intentionally love others, forgiving and blessing them, living your life with this sacrificial generosity. This is a sowing into the field of the Spirit. And these are decisions that we make or don't make every day. Cultivating an environment when you say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh will someday come to some sort of culmination. When we continually sow into the Spirit, our lives begin to display spiritual fruit maybe not all at once or as much as we want to and certainly without perfection but also increasingly in other words what paul is saying is don't expect a harvest where you've not sown don't expect a life of fruitful harvesting of the things of god where there has not been a life of faithful sowing into the things of god and I think this is a mistake that a lot of people make. Well, I'm a child of God and I've given my life to him. And I have no discipline in my life to invest in the things of God or to, um, or to sow seeds in the field of the spirit. I really want salvation. When I die, I want to go to heaven. But right now, I want to live however I want to. And they, ultimately, it says here, are reaping a harvest of corruption. Maybe this morning you feel God is distant but you haven't spent any time in your life sowing into that relationship with God with prayer or reading the Bible. You haven't been seeking him. The author of Hebrews says that when you seek him with all your heart that you will find him. Maybe you feel your relationships with others are strained or combative, but you haven't obeyed God in those relationships. You haven't made God important in those relationships. Maybe you feel a struggle with discernment, that you don't know what the next step in this life is. God, where do you want me to go to school? Or what job should I take? Or how should I deal with my kids? But maybe that's the result of you not obeying him in the current season of your life. Maybe you struggle with financial resources, and maybe that's the result of you not surrendering your finances to him in the first place. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. It's possibly a lack of investing into your marriage. Listen, let's just speak honestly. All marriages take work. All relationships take work, especially a marriage. Good, God-honoring marriages are built. They don't just exist. They don't just come out looking pretty. This takes work. For this very reason, we decided to put on this marriage conference. And I pray that some of you are going to come and expect this is what this means. We're investing into this. We're opening our lives to people who are going to come and speak truth to us. So hopefully, as God says that we will, we will sow into the Spirit so that we will see spiritual fruit as a result. Do not expect a blessing where you've not been obedient. 
Do not expect a harvest where you've not sown. This is a biblical principle. Now, before you think I'm some prosperity gospel preacher up here trying to sell you, you know, my hanky covered in sweat so that you'll, you know, benefit to some kind of extent. The prosperity gospel is an outside-in gospel, and it's really not a gospel. It says if you really want joy or happiness or money in your bank account, then you need to send money to me and to my ministry. It's outside-in, but Christianity is inside-out. So if you really love Jesus and you've made him Lord of your life, then from the inside, inside out, as the Spirit works in you, your desires are going to line up with God's desires. And you're going to know the best thing for you is to sow into the field of the Spirit. And as if it couldn't get even more awkward for me, he goes on in verse 6 to give an example of making sure the preacher eats, basically, which I eat well, you can tell. Verse 6 Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is always awkward as a preacher preaching about this. It feels a bit self-serving if I can be honest with you. But his point is that those who labor in preaching and teaching have earned some compensation. But more than that, he says, share with them all good things. Now, our church does well in compensating um, us as pastors, and I'm not going to even speak to that today, but I am going to mention a few ways from my perspective that you can share good things with us as pastors. One is to pray for him and his family. It is difficult living a pastor's life. I've been a PK, a preacher's kid, all my life, and it comes with some unique challenges Oftentimes, incredibly difficult spiritual attack, and I won't go in to give examples of that, but one of the greatest things you could do is pray for me and my family and Jason, Weston, and their families. Another thing is to make it a joy for him to shepherd you. That doesn't mean that you hide all your junk, not at all. It means that you listen, you take advice, you don't give in to gossip and slander. There's no more frustrating moment, I don't know if there is, than, you know, you having this crisis in your life and you calling a pastor for some biblical counsel from God's word and we take some time away one evening from our family to sit down with you and open God's word to you and then you leave there saying, well, I didn't need any of that, I'm going to do what I want to anyway. Make it a joy for your pastors to shepherd you. Share what God is doing in your life, another thing. Share what God's doing in your life. On the back of our little connection cards, we ask, what is God saying to you? This is great encouragement to us. You should see your faces as we preach, right? It's like we're in a library like, or, or you're sleeping. Uh, so one of the greatest, and that's fine, one of the greatest things that you could do is encourage us by showing where is God working in your life? Where is he answering prayer? What is God teaching you? Again, great encouragement to us. Another great encouragement is to follow along with us as we walk through books of the Bible. And if you miss, you catch the podcast. So the hours and hours that we've invested in reading and studying might produce fruit in your life. Another way is to carry your own load. A lot of people like to come and sit and be entertained. And we say from the beginning that that is not the kind of church we are. We are not a cruise ship here to uh, tickle your ears here to make sure you're comfortable. As a matter of fact, in 20 minutes, we're going to ask you to help stack up chairs, right? Just so you get, because a cruise ship has never asked you to help stack up chairs. 
But we're a rescue ship. That means everybody in this room has a place on God's team. That God has uniquely wired you and equipped you to participate with him in his mission. Now, there's some roles that you can play on Sunday, but even to a much greater extent, that God has called you and sent you out as a missionary into your workplace, where you live, where you work, where you play. We want to see you fulfill this great calling on your life. Another way to encourage us as pastors is to be all in. This is one of the hardest parts about being a pastor, is oftentimes you care more about the people's lives in your congregation than they care about themselves. Recently, I had a, some friends of mine who were having marriage difficulties and they were at the point where they were about to walk away and they were gonna move out, ultimately lead to divorce. I was trying to get them to go sit down with a biblical counselor. They refused again and again. I called a counselor and said, hey man, tell me, they won't come sit down with you. What are a few things that I could help at least get them triage out of this situation? And he just said, Luke, you, you just can't care more than they care. You can't care more than they care. If they don't care enough to seek out help, then they're just not going to get help. And I feel like that's almost an oxymoronic statement for a pastor because what other job do you take where you're required to love the people, right, in, in the organization, but being a pastor, and God does something in your life in an incredible way where you love them and you want to see them walk in fruitfulness. Finally, is to help do the work of the ministry. One of the greatest ways you can encourage me or Jason, Weston or Brad is to help us do the work of the ministry. It's what Ephesians 4 says we're to do is to help equip you to do the work of the ministry, to do some of the work of the ministry so that we can give our time to the word and to prayer. One example is last week I was out of town and uh, the, the text started coming in at like 745, just Things falling apart, you know. Uh, the main guy that pulls a trailer, Philip pulls it every week, he's out of town. And the second guy that pulls a trailer, Chuck, he's also out of town. The third guy that pulls the trailer, that's me, I'm also out of town. And so Jason shows up, there's no, there's no trailer here. Luckily, uh, Cody and John were both here, and they went, and then they couldn't get it to work. And things just begun, you know, to fall apart. And it's such a blessing, though, to have people who are willing to go the extra mile to help pull the load. Such a blessing to me. And so many of you in here do this. I mean, you want to carry the load. And that is a great blessing. And I think we're going to see fruitfulness in our lives because of this. Here's the point. Find good teachers and share good things with them. Invest your life in this. The caveat is not to give up investing when you don't see immediate fruit. Don't give up. This is what Paul says in verse 9. And let us, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are, the ho- who are of the household of faith. Let us not grow weary in doing good. We live in a world that demands an immediate return. 
We want to make money the fastest. We want to be served the fastest. We want to have the fastest internet connection. And this is true in my life as well as many people's lives. This, even this week, I was trying to work at Panera and their internet was slow. I literally gave up working for the whole day. Like, if I don't have good internet, we just can't work. Last week, I took my girls out for a little Valentine's date. And we got to, we went to Outback. And we thought if we got there early at 5 o'clock, we would be a shoe in. We get there at 5 o'clock, and the hostess says, there's a 40-minute wait. And you should have seen the look on my girls' faces. They have never in their life waited on a table at a restaurant, ever. They looked at me like I had just told them that aliens invaded the world. Like, we have to wait 40 minutes just to go sit down? Yeah, babe, that's just kind of how this works sometimes. Your dad's just a really old man that eats at Luby's most of the time. And it's a sad day when they close Luby's down here. The point is not giving up. Keep giving, keep praying, just in the first, just keep going. And Paul doesn't give us this advice because it's useless. He gives us this advice because it's going to be difficult and most of us are going to grow weary doing good. Paul says again, keep giving, keep giving. What you plant in the spring, you're going to reap in the fall. You don't go home and plant the seed of an apple tree and wake up the next morning frustrated because it's, you don't see in any tree, or nor do you see any apple. Absolutely, that would be foolish. It takes time to do that. Now, the majority of us at Covenant, we're in a season of planting. We're in a season of investing, not a season of reaping. This is the season of our life. This is the phase of our life. Most of us are newly married, or we have young kids, and there's a lot of investing going on. But let me promise you, if God's word's true, and I believe it is, there's going to be fruit born in your lives five years and 10 years and 20 years from now that come from the seeds that you're planting in the field of the spirit right now. Teenagers. We got some teenagers in here. They're normally right up here. Where are they hiding in the back somewhere? Teenagers? Are they skipping out today? I see them. I see them. The health and fruitfulness of your future marriages will likely be a result of seeds you're planting right now. You don't think it's a big deal to get on the internet and look at this or look at pornography or, or treat girls a certain way or girls treating guys a certain way. Let me promise you that the health and fruitfulness of your future marriages are going to depend on your faithfulness to plant seeds in the field of the Spirit right now, decisions you're making right now concerning your purity, concerning your walk with God, concerning your growing work ethic, that you will certainly see the fruit of years down the road. Some of us are newly married, and you're seeing in your marriage now the harvest of the seeds you planted when you were a teenager. And you're going to continue to see fruit in your marriage in the next few years. It'll be a result of the seeds that you're planting now. Some of your new parents or your hope to be parents someday. The kind of parent you are or will become will be the result of the kinds of seeds that you're sowing into the character of your lives even now. Now sowing's not easy. And it takes great work and good seed and good ground. The writer of The psalm, Psalms 126, talks about this. He says in Psalms 126, verse 4, Restore our our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. 
Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, shall return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. One commentary points out that these three verses, the psalmist has identified two ways in which God works in the hearts of his people. In verses 5 and 6, the writer talks about sowing with tears. Maybe you can identify with what it costs you to continue sowing. Maybe you're going through a difficult season in your life and sowing is very painful. Israel had many desert regions and the psalmist is imagining soil so hard that seeds planted need to be watered individually and with tears. Imagine how many hours of exhausting patience and excruciating labor that would take. God often works this way through us. We patiently plant seeds of God's word in our hearts, in the hearts of our kids, in the hearts of our neighbors, in the hearts of those around us. And we literally water them with our tears and we fertilize them with our faith. And this can be a laborious and painstaking work with years until we see harvest. The psalmist says, sometimes you got to sow seed with tears. And you don't feel like sowing seeds today. Matter of fact, it'd be easier just to quit the whole thing. It'd be easier just to stay in bed. It'd be easier not to go to work. It'd be easier not to make the phone call. It'd be easier not to have this difficult conversation. It'd be easier to act like you didn't see what was said on the Facebook feed. It'd be easier just to kind of blow over things. We don't want to cause any conflict. That would be easier. But God hasn't called us to easy. As a matter of fact, I would like for you to show me one place in Scripture where God called anyone that did anything significant for the kingdom to go the easy way. No, he actually said the way of the kingdom is a narrow gate and it's, it's uphill, mountainous region. But the other option is to go the way that leads to destruction. It's wide. There's a lot of people on it. It's going downhill. Sermons have to be written. Children have to be raised. Lunches made. Taking them to school. Just the monotony of life. Sometimes we just sow in tears. I thought after I had kids, I had been a youth pastor for a decade or so before I had my own kids. And there's an awakening that comes with this. I had taught theory for so long to teenagers and teenager parents. Then I had my own kids. And I tried to do devotions with them at home. I think the first night I remember trying this with my kids even had an idea of what was going on. Um, Both of them, Claire and Ellie, both got a spanking. And I thought, this will never work. And even now, it's a discouraging process sometimes, but we continue to do it because we're sowing even sometimes with tears. There's another way that Psalms 126 describes God moving. That some gospel labors like that, long, laborious, and costly, but God works another way too. The psalmist says in the first part of that verse in Psalms 126, to restore us like the streams of the Negev. The Negev was a desert-like region in Israel with little vegetation. However, occasionally torrential rain swept the plains and streams overflowed the land that was once dry. When the waters receded, it left moist moist soil over which greenery spread like a carpet. And the psalmist imagines God doing this among the hearts of people. This is what happened in Nineveh that we're going to be talking about in, in future weeks. That God did more in a moment through a really bad sermon 
than a thousand missionaries could have done in two generations. Yearning for an outpouring like this didn't negate the psalmist's responsibility to plant seeds and patiently water them with his tears, but it does give us hope that he refuses to relinquish, a hope that God will send a spirit into this land like a flood. And that is my prayer. As a pastor for us, that is my prayer, that God would move through his Holy Spirit, that we would see the third great awakening in our time, in a way that the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit can change the hearts of people. And that is the hope, I think, for parents who's praying for wayward children, that God would do something incredible. But all along the way, we're still sowing with tears, and we're sowing with tears, and we're praying that God would send his spirit like a flood. Church, don't grow weary in doing good. I needed to hear this this week. Paul says this because there's an inherent temptation to grow weary of doing good. The doing good he's talking about is investing in the spirit, developing a culture in your life that that you see spiritual fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. There's this monotonous war against good in our lives. The battle we fight against, the world, the flesh, the devil himself. Paul says, listen, church, don't grow weary. For most of us, this weary comes over time. We, we wear down. Last weekend, I was at a conference with a few other people in this church, the Linger Conference. One of the speakers, J.R. Vassar, was talking He mentioned this quote, it's really stuck with me. He says this, I think I have it on the screen. We become the people we are by the things we choose to do again. We become the people we are by the things we choose to do again. We develop healthy marriages based upon discipline of the things that we choose to do again. That we sit across each other Across the table, and oftentimes there's no fireworks, but we look at each other in the eye and say, babe, I am in this for you, and you're for me, and we're reaffirming the covenant that we made before God. We are in this together, and we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And then we look back, and we see what God's done in our marriage over 10 years or 15 years, and we do it with our neighbors, and we do it with our kids, and hopefully we do this with the Lord, that we wake up in the morning. This is the illustration that J.R. gave, that we're up at 5.30, we're on the couch, and we're saying to God, God, I'm here again. And oftentimes, there's no fireworks. Oftentimes, you don't see an angel in your room. You don't, you don't hear this loud voice from heaven, but we do it again and again and again, and that defines who we become. We become the people we are by the things we choose to do again. Sowing seed with tears. He reminds us, Paul does, that God will not be mocked. He will be faithful to bring the harvest. And what a joyous day that will be to see the harvest come. I want to, in this way, we're going to take communion in just a minute, but investing is different than dabbling. You don't expect to see the kind of fruit we see in Psalms 1, leaves not withering, fruitful in season, if you only dabble in the things of God. You can't dabble in community and expect to see God use you in incredible ways to restore other believers, to bring harvest in and around your life. We see this example in Jesus. 
who didn't dabble in providing salvation. He didn't halfway hang on the cross. He didn't pray in the garden that he's going to do what he wanted to and avoid the pain. No, he didn't address sin flippantly, and he didn't overcome it flippantly either. Jesus was fully committed to us and invites us to give ourselves fully to him and to others as we see his example, as we're empowered by his spirit within us. This is the great picture of communion, that God gave himself fully to us through Jesus, that we might be radically changed because of it. And this is the great reminder of sowing with tears. Even when it's costly and even when the harvest doesn't even appear on the calendar. We keep sowing. Let me pray for us as our communion servers come forward. And I encourage you, even before I pray, will you take just a moment with God and you'd ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in your heart what he's asking you to do. If it's encouragement as you're walking through a weary season, Like a healing balm, may he bring it to your weary heart and soul. Maybe it's some deep pain or scar. Maybe it's sin in your very life, and he's been convicting you of this. Maybe it's the laziness or apathy that's overtaken you. You're just so tired of sowing seeds on hard soil. Maybe you repent of that renewed by his spirit within you and take steps towards him. Father, I thank you for your gift of grace. Lord, that we don't do anything this morning to earn your love for us, that that that's just grace, that you love us to the extent that you sent Jesus for us that he hung on a cross for us. Spent three days in the grave, was raised again, appeared to his followers time and time again, inviting them again to come and follow him. And I pray that over us. Father, as we've been as a church in a season of sowing, Lord, may we not grow weary in doing good. Looking to Jesus for our example, living by the power of his spirit within us. Thank you for this picture of communion. Of the blood you shed, your body that was broken. Not for your own sake, but for us. I pray that stirs something deep within us, a response of gratitude and joyful obedience. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.